Shalom. This week's Parsha is Parsha Vayechi, and we are the Toronto Torah Podcast, brought to you by Bet Midrash Zichron Do. Each week, we will offer a different look on the weekly Torah portion, one conversation a week, every week. And today, let's talk about reconciliation. Good morning, Rabbi Yehuda Man. Good morning, Reb Chaim Metzger. How are you this morning? Thank God. I was just going over this week's Parsha, the last one, Parsha Vayechi, the very end of the book of Breshit, the book of Genesis. We start with Yaakov on his deathbed, blessing his grandsons, Menashe and Ephraim, before moving on to bless all of his children as well. And then we see Yaakov passing away and all of the effort that Yosef goes through in terms of the burial and making sure that, they, that he and all of his brothers can go and bury Yaakov in a respectful manner in the land of Israel. And last, we see Yosef himself on his own deathbed about to pass away, asking his brothers to make sure that one day when the Jews are able to leave Egypt, that they make sure to take him with them as well. But what really bothered me from this week's Parsha is the fact of the last encounter that we see between Yosef and his brothers. The brothers come to Yosef and they say, before our father passed away, he told us, please don't hold it against us that we, that we sold you down here. You know, just forgive them, please. And then Yosef breaks down crying. How could the brothers, after the last 20 years of Yosef taking care of them, lie to his face and tell them that Yaakov Avino told them this? How could they possibly be so unabashed and lacking of shame and do such a thing. So if I had to answer that question, I would say that we, there has been a whole lo- long conversation between the brothers for many years. It started in Parashat Vayeshev of them hating him, and it continues on all the way till the very end. And the question is, did they ever reconcile between the two of them? Did they ever actually reach the point where they could agree and love one another? Yes or no? Very nice summary, Rabbi Metzger. It's a very good question what you're asking about the, the brothers. Did they indeed afterwards become good friends? And I'll, add, I'll, I'll try to add something also, which in my mind is very peculiar. The answer that Yosef tells them, you don't need to apologize. You tried to do something bad to me, but it turned out to be something great. In the beginning, you wanted to sell me to be a slave in Egypt, a slave for other peoples. And now I became the prince of Egypt. So in fact, it was a good thing. Is that true? Is that really the message that Hashem wants us to do one with the other? Even if we're trying to do bad things to other, but has good consequences, does that necessarily mean that I don't owe him an apology? I tried to do a very bad thing to him. I really tried to harm someone and it turned out to be very good. So is that, is that a good thing? I don't have to apologize even trying to do something? When two people try to, to reconcile with each other, so a person has a bad intention to the other, doesn't, does it, doesn't he owe him, him an apology also for his bad intentions? Doesn't it show that he has some kind of bad relationship with them and we want them to be good friends together? So I'll tell you what I think could be a very possible answer to this question. This question was raised by a rabbi 150 years ago, Rabbi Yechezkel Lando, also known as the Noida Beyuda, is a famous response book. And he asked this question regarding a different case. The Gemara says in the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah that a person wanted to give tzedakah, charity, in order for his sons to live. We all know as Jews that if you give charity, it is a segula for you to live a long life. 
And the person is at his house, a poor person is coming to knock on his door and is telling him, please, can you give me some money? Can you give me something? I don't have any food. I don't have any, any clothes. Can you help me? And the person there in the house doesn't want to give him tzedakah money, charity, because he feels sorry for him. He doesn't feel sorry for him not having food or not having clothes. He's not even willing to give him the charity money because that Hashem, the Lord, commanded us to give charity. The sole reason he wants to give charity is in order for his son to live. He's giving charity because he knows that this is a great remedy for his son. The Gemara says, He's a full-fledged righteous person. Now how can we understand this thing? He has personal intentions. He's egocentric. He thinks only about himself. So how is this person a full-fledged righteous man? How is this person a tzaddik gemur? And this question, as I said, was raised by Rav Yechezkel And he said that indeed, regarding the mitzvot bin adam lechavero, the obligations between one friend, one man to his friend, the intentions don't matter too much. We don't really care about your intentions. We only care about the result. If in result of your action, your friend benefited, he now has food to eat, he now has clothes to wear on a cold winter day. So in that case, even if you have bad intentions, we don't care. Because regarding the obligations between man to man, what we only care about is the, constant, is the result, is what happens in the end. I think the same message that he says could be also here regarding Yosef. Yes, indeed. It was a terrible thing. You had, you had terrible intentions to harm, to harm me, says Yosef. You wanted to kill me. You wanted to sell me. You wanted me to be a slave. But the result was okay. In the end of the day, I became prince of Egypt. And thanks to that, I could have provided food and shelter to my family during those terrible hunger years in Egypt. So in that case, it was okay. So we see that Judaism has this concept that regarding the obligations between a man and his friend, we don't really care about the personal intentions, but rather we only care about the result. But how could the brothers have misconstrued then what Yosef did? 20 years of consequences, of results of Yosef doing what's only best for his brothers. How could the brothers still have not believed Yosef for all that time? Why are they still deathly afraid of him? If all that matters is the consequences and the result, the brothers clearly don't agree with Nodib Yehuda. So what, how on earth could the brothers have been so wrong? The problem we often have when we approach this situation of reconciliation is we only look at one side of the equation. We're only looking at the way that Yosef perceived it. Yosef thought that really this was all part of the divine plan. But what about the perspective of the brothers? How did they feel? From the brothers' perspective, they think that they are the worst of the worst. They know that they threw their brother into a pit to die. And then they sold him into slavery, which is perhaps a far crueler and more painful fate. And they know that if, they had, if Yosef had done the same to them, they could never have forgiven him. Instead, they would expect the next time they saw them, they could not conceive of the idea that Yosef would be able to forgive them. They don't understand what it means to repent. The idea of complete reconciliation, of complete tshuva between one and another. They don't understand what that even means. And that is the failing of the brothers, which Joseph was trying to impart on them. According to the Barbanel, 
entirety of the process and all the plans that Yosef had for the last 20 years before he even revealed himself to the brothers was in order to get the brothers to do tshuva, to repent. And maybe initially Yosef didn't want to do reconciliation with his brothers. He just wanted them to repent with God, even if not to him. But clearly the brothers didn't understand what Yosef was doing. Yosef had all these fancy plans, these contingencies this way and that way, but the brothers didn't understand what he was doing. And yes, Yosef was aiming for reconciliation for over 20 years. That doesn't mean that the brothers were there to respond. Because if one person is trying to reconcile and the other one is not, you can't have reconciliation. It's a very interesting point what you're making. You know, I wonder that after all of this story and the end of this story between the brothers and Yosef, are they now best friends? Are they now best buddies? What is the final destination, the final idea of reconciliation? Do they necessarily have to be good friends to love each other? Or maybe they just, they just have to apologize for the bad things that, that they're doing one to each other. There's a very interesting Gemara in Masechet Yoma that Rav, he was teaching Tanakh. He had a Tanakh class. And in, in the middle of the class, a student came in. The student was none, none less than Rebbe. Rebbe came in a bit late. Rav decided to start the shear again. Later on came Rav Chia. And again, he stopped the shear, started from the top. Afterwards came Bar Kapara. And again, he stopped the shear and began from the beginning for the sake of Bar Kapara. And then came Rav Shimon Rebbe. And once again, he stopped the shear, started from the top. But then came Rav Chanina Bar Chama. And he said to himself, Rav, am I going to stop for every student that's going, to, that's going to come late? I have already stopped four times. People have to learn. I have to carry on with the shear. So he decided that now I'm not going to start from the top. I'm going to carry on the shear from this place. And Rav Chanina Barchama was insulted. The, the, the students in the class probably talked between themselves. They probably schmoozed around and said, wow. Rav stopped the shear for Rebbe, for Abchia, for Barkapara, for Pshum for Rebbe. But for, but for Rab Chanina, he didn't start from the beginning. And Rab Chanina was insulted. He felt very bad about it. And then the Gemara says that Rav apologized to him on the, the evening of Yom Kippur. And for every year, for 13 years on the evening of Yom Kippur, Rav went to Rab Chanina and apologized. And the Sfat Emet, the great Hasidic master, he asks, why is he waiting every year until Yom Kippur? If he really wants to apologize and ask Rab Chanina for his forgiveness, why are you waiting all the time until Yom Kippur? You could, you could go and ask, ask him immediately, every single day. But no, you're waiting until Yom Kippur, until the final hours before the holiest day of the year. Why are you waiting so long? Ask him today, ask him tomorrow, ask him the day afterwards. Why are you waiting until Yom Kippur? The Sfat Emet says that there's a difference between the reconciliation of every day as opposed to the reconciliation of Yom Kippur. When one person insults, insults another person, they don't have to become good friends. They don't have to become now best buddies. But listen, you harmed me, you insulted me, ask for forgiveness. Ask him to, to, to forgive you and could ask him to pardon what you did. But on Yom Kippur, we have something else. 
we have to ask we have to ask forgiveness and try to, re, to, to, to achieve reconciliation, not only to, in order for him to pardon what I did to him, but also to become good friends. We have to become closer one to each other. If we're now asking Hashem on the holiest day of the year to forgive us, and we want and, and we want once again to be closer to Him on Yom Kippur, we have to show we want to be closer also us between our friends. So says the Sfatimet, why did he wait every year until Yom Kippur? Because during the year, when you ask for forgiveness, you only ask, to ask him to pardon you. You don't have to now become closer and a good friend of his and somehow close the gap that is between you two. Only on Yom Kippur, when we are trying to achieve closeness to Hashem and to be once again close to Hashem, that's the time of the year that we're trying also to be closer one with each other friend to friend, and to become closer, and not only to ask him to pardon of the damage that I somehow inflicted to him. So we see that the concept of reconciliation is not necessarily to, be good, to become good friends. It's to apologize, to ask the forgiveness, but not necessarily to be close once again. That is unique only for Yom Kippur. You say to wait all the way until... Yom Kippur. But is that really the length of time you're supposed to wait for reconciliation? If you look in the Mishnah and Perkei Avot, in the fourth parak, we see the pain of Rabbi Shum ben Elazar, who says, when are you supposed to start trying to appease your friend? At the time when he's not currently in his time of anger, and not when the, his person who's passed away is right before them. Rather, you wait a little bit later when he's not currently so upset, and that's when you start to ask him for forgiveness. So I don't think you're supposed to be waiting so long to try and start this process of reconciliation. It should start even sooner. But the question then comes up, well, if you want to start it sooner, how soon is too soon? And if I'm going to try and reconcile with my friend, what is the best way for me to approach that subject? Because once things are awkward, they're tense, how do I turn it from being so tense and painful to being a time where we might be able to connect closer, to be able to become friends once again? Reb Chaim, I want to sharpen the point that really Rav, in the story, didn't really have to apologize to Rav Hanina. He doesn't have any so-called, quote-unquote, debt to Rav Hanina. Because of, it, it was a very understandable situation that you cannot repeat your shear for every single student. To be honest, he doesn't even owe him an apology. The new thing that we have with Yom Kippur, the chiddush of the reconciliation of Yom Kippur is that even though that he doesn't have a true grudge and a true tevia from you, is that since you, are, you, you have a gap between you two, you have a distance between you two, so because of that, you still have to try to make amends, to try to be closer once again, but you really don't have to apologize. When you do have to apologize, indeed, you have to apologize every single day. Only on Yom Kippur, we learn this new thing that we, when you see this gap, this distance between two people, you want to, st to be close once again. The brothers and Yosef, first of all, they had to apologize. They had to say, I'm sorry what we did. We did a terrible thing to you. Do they have to be close together once again? No. That is the new thing that we learn about Yom Kippur, that we have to be close once again, closer and, and better friends and better brothers, one with each other. But in, in the end of the day, all that they had to do was just to apologize and ask for forgiveness on the bad things that they did.
Rav Yehuda, to say that the brothers aren't aiming to become friends is interesting, but I don't think that's what we should be aiming for. When we have a rift between one another, we have to try and do what Yosef attempted to do when he saw how great the divide between him and his brothers was. He decided to vaydaber elibam, to speak to their hearts, to try and get them to become closer for them to be friends once again. But the question we all have to ask ourselves is how can we do that one to another? How can we speak from our hearts to somebody else's heart? A lot of the issues that come up is not because they truly were slighted, you did something terrible against one another, but maybe it's a slightly perceived, maybe you were rude, maybe you forgot to say good morning, but how do we, something that you don't perceive as being wrong, so how, even, or even if you do, how can you approach the other and try and bridge that gap? How can you go from being at odds to slowly becoming close once again? So one method is the method which is famously done by Aaron Cohen, with the way he used to reconcile between husband and wife as the classic Ohev Shalom and Rodev Shalom, the classic lover of peace and running after peace, is that he would actually go to both parties and would lie to them and would say, you know, the other person really didn't mean it and they really want to come and apologize. And then he would go to the other person and say the exact same thing. And lo and behold, they would both come together and then knowing that the other one had that inkling of feeling bad and wanting to apologize would be enough to get people to once again be able to be friends. So that might work sometimes, but for other people, you need something a little bit more. Sometimes you need some better tricks. So a trick of Benjamin Franklin that he used to use is he would deliberately lend people things, people who he hated or they hated him. But what he would do is he would deliberately lend them things. And why would he lend them things? Because even if you don't have any positive interactions until this point, or the last one is really negative, but if you have some item of somebody else, it forces you to think about them and to try and reinvent the way that you perceive them because you have something of theirs. True, you didn't really want it. But once you have it, once you have something of theirs, then you can finally start trying to think about it from a different angle of maybe, you know, maybe he had a point too. Maybe then we could become friends. As long as you get that first, first leg through the door, that little, that little crack, sometimes you can use that small crack to bridge the huge gap that had appeared between two individuals. That's a beautiful idea of Benjamin Franklin. It's, it's kind of interesting because we see a similar concept in the writings of Rav Desla, the famous Panovich Meshgiach, 50 years ago. And he says, he writes, uh, how, to, how do two people start loving each other? Because how can you command people to, to love each other? How can a person love Hashem? How could the Torah command us to love Hashem? And he says that one of the ways to love something is you, if you invest into something. If you give something to someone, if you invest in, in your child day and night and you, and, you, and you try to help him with this and that, even if it's the most annoying boy in the world, you will love him because once you are training yourself to give. So if you invest in someone, if you put effort for someone, so in the end of the day, you will start being closer and loving. I'll tell you a story that once, my, uh, my sister-in-law, when I got married, so my sister-in-law was very young, she was three years old, and she asked me to draw a duck. To draw a duck. And to be honest, I'm not, I'm not much of a painter, but uh, I wanted to, uh, to show off my painting skills to the new family, so I started drawing the duck. And I put a lot of effort in it, and, and I gave it to my sister-in-law. And then she took the duck and started filling it in with colors, and it became one big mess. That moment, I felt a bit of sorry that she ruined my duck. Now, I thought to myself, why am I so attached to this duck? Why do I feel so close to this duck? 
I think the answer is, as you're saying, and also as Rav Dessler is saying, that once you put effort into something, you become close to it. I invested a lot of powers in this duck, a lot of time, and I tried to make the most beautiful duck, and I developed some kind of connection to the duck. We should do the same thing also with others. Be good to others, help others, invest one in each other, and by that we'll be close, once again, one with each other. This reminds me of a famous phrase in English. If it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, then it probably is a duck. But on a more serious note, in terms of how one can come to love God and love one's friend, I heard a wonderful idea about this from Rabbanit Esti Rosenberg, Rosh Midrashah of Migdal Oz, an institution for higher learning for women in Israel. So there are different ways. Sometimes it's through the miraculous one-off occurrence, the love at first sight, such as between Yaakov and Rachel. But sometimes it takes a little bit longer. And to this, I want to quote from Fiddler on the Roof. So here we have Golda and Tavia. They've just married off one one of their daughters. And they turn one to the other and they say, After 25 years, why talk about love right now? The point being that sometimes a repeated action through a very long period of time, even if it might seem trivial, but to add them all together day after day, night after night, year after year, it can become for what may have been simply something of circumstance to being something truly meaningful and being love in the truest of senses. And you know what? I think this is the beautiful way to finish the book of Bereshit. How did we start the book of Bereshit, the book of Genesis? One brother killing the other brother. And throughout the parshiot, throughout the stories of Bereshit, we see brother versus brother all the time. We see Yitzchak and Ishmael. We see Yaakov and Esav. And, and in the end also, Yosef and his other brothers. Yosef and the other Shvatim. And how is the, is the ending of the, of, the, of, the, of the book? That they're now good friends again. That they're trying to invest each other. And trying to be good brothers and trying to close the gap that, ha- that, that, that there is between them. So it's such a beautiful way to finish such a beautiful book. Thank you, Rebchai Metzger. It was a pleasure sitting here with you and talking to Ivri Torah. Thank you so much. Thank you all of those who are listening to us. Thank you very much for discussing all these ideas with me, Rav Yehuda, man. And I'm looking forward to wishing you a good Shabbos and spending more time with you and discussing these issues with you on the podcast. That's all for today. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe, share, and like this podcast. And follow us, Beit Midrash Zichron Dov, on Facebook and Instagram. We'll be back next week with a new conversation on a new Porsche. Thank you and goodbye.